Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. A welcome to our visitors on this sort of dreary Sunday morning. I did not realize that it was supposed to snow this morning, and we saw some flakes flying when we came. So um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's warm in here, and I trust that your hearts are warm in Christ this morning. You're fellowshipping with Him, and also fellowshipping with each other this morning in the Spirit. We sang songs about heaven. Um, the song before the last one talked about the, the sky being rolled back like a scroll and, and one day and, and Christ coming and those of us who are in him are born again. We'll see that. Actually, all people will see that, but we will rejoice at that viewing when we see Christ coming. I'm looking forward to that day, and I hope you are as well. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14 this morning. This will be our main passage. I have a number of passages for the message this morning. <clears throat> and um, while you're turning there, I would like to just bow our heads for prayer and ask God to be with us this morning. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are gathered together as your children and in your name this morning. And we ask, Father, for your presence through your Holy Spirit to be here, to teach us this morning, to guide us in our thoughts and in our words as we read your word that it would become truth and life to us. And as we talk about things from your word, that it would penetrate into our hearts and bring about the desired results. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you and ask for your anointing for all of us here for myself and for each one that is sitting and listening, and that we could become more and more like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. There is a principle in Scripture that is taught and that all of us that are Christians understand to a, a degree, probably a pretty large degree. Many of us understand this principle because it is part of our life, okay? This principle is central to the Christian life. In fact, without this principle, principle being lived or, or, or being active in our life, we would not be born again this morning, 
I want you to think about it. I'm not going to tell you just now what it is, but you'll guess it. But there is a principle that is central to us Christians. And today my message will be another message on aspects, certain aspects of the Christian life. I've been preaching a number of messages on what is the Christian life? What are some things that we should remember and know about being Christians? Like there's some significant things that define who we are as children of God. And this morning is another one of those. We sing a familiar song, and when you hear this song, you will probably guess what this principle is. The song goes like this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me, Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. And then all to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel that sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. It's a familiar song. We can almost sing it, couldn't we? I'm wondering if you know what the principle of the Christian life is that we'll be talking about this morning. What is it? Submission or surrender? Surrender. The title of my message is, The Christian Life is a Life that is Surrendered. The Christian Life is a Life that is Surrendered. When we think about these words, this song that, we, that I just read, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. When we think about that, and I wonder, when we sing that song, if we actually believe what we sing, what we're saying. Because the reality is, when I say, Jesus, I surrender all of me, all that I am, I surrender all to you, it requires something of me, right? Like it demands some action on my part. I now have to choose what I'm going to do with what I just said. Will I actually surrender my all to him? And questions come flooding into our minds like, well, what, what does all mean? What all does Jesus want me to surrender? Why should I surrender all to him? What authority does he have in my life that he could say to me, I want all of what you are and all that you have. Will you give it to me? Those are questions that sort of roll through our minds, sometimes without really thinking about it. Maybe I'm speaking for myself, but those are things that I have thought about 
when I think about living a, a life that is surrendered to my Lord. And what does that look like for me and for you this morning? What does the Bible have to say to us about this subject? And I have this question that sort of came to me as I was studying. Does it surprise us this morning? Does it surprise you as a child of God that Jesus would ask our full surrender? Young people, is it a surprise to you this morning that your Lord and Savior would actually want to be your Lord and master, that he would actually ask you to surrender everything you have and all that you are to him. Does it surprise us this morning that he would be that demanding? Does it sort of surprise us? Now, generally, we sort of understand this principle because all of us that are Christians here this morning understand that to some degree, when we became saved, when, when that that moment of salvation happened. We understood that there was surrender that had to happen. There was repentance and confession of sins and turning away and a commitment to following our Lord and Savior, right? We all understand that, that concept, that principle. And, and some of you can remember, I can remember when that happened for me. What happened was an enormous weight lifted and glorious things sort of happened. Like you understood spiritual things and your eyes, your spiritual eyes were opened and your understanding became more clear. You loved good things. Why? Because we surrendered. And he became the Lord of our lives. Can you remember that time? What's happened between then and now? What happens to us between the time of our new birth and the glorious release of our sins and the flooding of the Holy Spirit and all of that and today? Are you still there? Are you still surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Let's read in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. I have several points in my outline this morning for the sake of those that would like to take notes. My first point is God's call of surrender. God's call of surrender, which basically is uh, God's word calling us. There's words, there's terminology, and there's passages that talk about and call us to surrender. The word surrender, if I studied correctly, I understand is not actually a word that is used in the New Testament. You have submit to one another, you have those kind of things. So that's why I call it a principle. A principle of the Christian life is surrender, a surrendered life. So the first one is God's call to surrender. Then I want to look at some obstacles to the surrender. What are some things that come in the way of us surrendering all to him? And then the final one is um, the beauty and the power of a surrendered life. The beauty and the power of a surrendered life. 
So let's read in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and I'll read down to verse 31. And this is an account of Jesus, and Jesus is talking, and it says, And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, Now you get a picture of this. Crowds were with Jesus, and, and perhaps they were walking somewhere. And it says, And he turned and he said to this group, this big multitude of people, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man begun to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? I'm going to stop there. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about counting the cost of following him. But he uses specific things in this account to help us understand how costly it is to surrender to him. And he uses things that we're very familiar with. He uses our families, our fathers and our mothers, and our brothers and our sisters, and even our wives or our spouses. And whether or not Jesus was actually specifically saying those things for us to, to sort of take that into account, I think the general purpose of his statement was, what are the things that are so important to you that keep you from surrendering to me? It could be our families. It could be those things that we find security in and comfort in. It feels good to be part of our family. Our family affirms us. Hopefully, we affirm each other. It's those kind of things that we like about our family. Sometimes we feel opposition from our families. We've experienced that. Some of you have experienced that. We've experienced some of that. Where they, they throw opposition against your belief, the way you live. They question you. And then we find ourselves maybe not wanting to stand for Christ in those times. Nevertheless, Jesus says, if you're not willing, whatever it is in your life, in my life, whatever that is, that important thing in your life that you hold a lot of value with, with like it's valuable to you, it's dear and it's close to you, whatever that is, is it your family? Maybe it's yourself, because it says, or even yourself. Maybe you think pretty highly of yourself. 
maybe, maybe we, maybe we like our reputation pretty good. Maybe we have a reputation, a good reputation, and that's pretty important to us. And Jesus says, anything that comes, that grabs your affections and comes in the way of your love for me, you need to surrender that to me. He asks us to give it to him. He never demands it, but he asks us to give it to him. So think about what that might be in your life. I have no idea what God has for you this morning, but think about what it might be in your life. Has that thing caused you to lose your love for your Lord and Savior? When I was studying, I came across a story of a Chinese Christian pastor that, and this was, isn't, this happened not too many years ago, that was captured by the communist authorities, and obviously they're not allowed to be Christians over there, teach the Bible, and he was, he was captured, and for 11 years he was in prison, and for 11 years they tortured him, wanting him to give up his faith. The story said that they broke pretty much every bone in his body over the 11 years. And he would not give up his faith. Finally, they said, we can't break this man. He will not give up his faith, but we know one thing that will make him give up his faith. He has three daughters. And we'll bring those daughters in. And what we'll do to those daughters will make him break They brought the three daughters in. You know what they did? They took red hot fire pokers and put it in their ears. Deafened them. They said, they will never hear you preach again. They will never hear you testify about your God. And as they were doing it, the daughter says, don't give up. Don't ever give up. It's the least we can do for our Lord. I don't know what I would have done. The story said the man shook so bad that he fell down. Watching what was being done to his daughters. And he didn't. They said, okay, that won't break him will cut out their tongues. One by one, he watched their, his daughter's tongues being cut, cut out. And they said, Dad, don't. Don't give up. My question to us this morning, if it would be your family, would you give up? Or would you surrender your family to the, to the one who can do best, even in the difficult circumstances. What's important in your life this morning? What's God pointing to your, in your heart, the affections in your heart that keep you from surrendering all to him? I want you to catch something in this passage. 
He says, unless you hate, that's a, that's a dramatic word. It's an extreme word that Jesus uses. And then he says, unless you do that, unless you, you, you surrender all of that, whatever it is, to me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. Here's what I want us to catch. We look at that, we read that, and we say, okay, yeah, we get that. That means we can't be his follower. Do you know what a disciple is? Young people, do you know what a disciple of Jesus is? It's a learner. It's a student of Jesus. Do you get the connection? He says, if you don't get rid of whatever it is that comes between your, me and you, your love, your affections, whatever that is, unless you surrender that all to me, you can't learn of me. I wonder how many of us this morning are just a little bit lethargic and a little bit dry and a little bit crusty in our, in our, in our spiritual life. Could it be we have some things that we haven't surrendered to Christ? When I thought about that, I thought about my own life. And I just told my wife, I feel so dry. I feel so dry. Is it possible that I have something that I haven't surrendered? Yeah. Yeah. God began to point out some things. What about you? When was the last time you fell on fire? You felt God's presence and you moved in his realm of glory. What's the spiritual temperature in your heart this morning? Your ears, your spiritual ears, your spiritual eyes, how sharp are they? Are you learning from your Lord this morning? Young people, are you learning from your Lord? You see, we, we, we cringe because we still want to be in control of things. We still want the things that we want. We're afraid we can't trust him, but he says, no, I have your best in mind. Will you give it to me? Will you let me teach you to be like me? It's sobering when you think about it. Something else that Jesus points out or, or makes clear in this passage is this. He says, unless we're willing to bear our cross, we cannot learn of him. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, okay, so what's the cross I'm supposed to bear? I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think Jesus is saying, look, if you want to learn, if you, if you truly want to be my disciple, then you have to follow my example. And that is that I surrendered my will and my desires, I actually surrendered my glory and came here to die for you. And he looks at us this morning and says, if you want to learn of me, then you must nail yourself to that cross. You must take up the cross daily. That means we die to ourselves daily.
What does that look like for you this morning? What does it look like for me? We all know that crucifixion is horribly painful. It's brutish. And are we that willing? Are we willing to be that brutal to ourselves? I dare say most of us are not. I'm not. It's hard to think about nailing myself to a cross. It's figurative. I, understand, I hope you understand what I'm saying. But what will it take to surrender all to Jesus so that we can learn of him, so that his power can flow in us for his honor and for his glory? In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, it gives us a little bit different picture. Same idea. It says this. You may turn to that if you want. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 23 it says, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of elders and of chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Jesus was saying this. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, or in other words, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to learn of me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And follow me. Why does Jesus want us to die daily? Because Jesus knows that in death, spiritual death, in, 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 in surrendering ourself, our self-centered selfishness, there is life. There is life. If you go on further in chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, he says this, and he said to them all, in verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And in verse 24, look at what it says. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake the same shall save it. For what is a man's advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Do you understand the connection there, brothers and sisters, this morning? The Christian life is a life that is surrendered. It's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing process. You know what the beauty of this whole thing is? That even though that our Lord requires total surrender, he doesn't demand it of us all at once. Did you ever think about that? He knows we can't handle it. But what he does do is he comes to us probably on a daily basis if we're tuned in, and he says, Lyle, there's an area that I'd like to have control of. Would you give that to me? Or Lyle, there's an affection. There's something that you're really fixated on that you really like. There's a habit that is not healthy for you. Would you give that to me? And he stands there like this. Would you give it to me? And at that moment, I have a choice to make. 
I can either decide to give it to him and surrender that thing, surrender my will to his, or I can say, well, I don't know. I sort of like that thing. I'm not sure that I'm quite willing to let you have complete control of that. And he stands there patiently until I give it to him. But the consequences of not giving it to him is that I become stunted in my spiritual life. I will not grow and learn of him if I don't give it to him. So which one do we want? Do we want maturity in him, growth in him, or do we want to keep control of all the areas of life? If he would demand it of us in one, in one whack, we couldn't. We couldn't bear it. But he's gracious to us. He's a loving Savior and a loving Lord. And then he just, after our conversion, he just gently moves into those areas in our lives and con continues to nudge us and say, will you give it to me until we give it to him? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 gives us another picture. Paul calls this a living sacrifice. So this daily dying, this crucifixion, is actually a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. I wonder how many of us this morning, if we would ask our families, if we would ask those that we work with, whatever, whoever we come in contact with on a regular basis, if we would ask them, does Lyle, is he, would you call him a living sacrifice? Like, does he, does he demonstrate Christ's love to other people? Or is he pretty selfish and self-centered? Is he about himself? When people walk into you when, you, when you are with other people, would they say, there goes a living sacrifice? That's a living sacrifice. Would they recognize us that way or not? The Christian life is a life of surrender. What are some obstacles of surrender? We alluded to some of these. The first obstacle for us in our surrender, Timothy talks about this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men, and I would just clarify that because I'm assuming that the translation into English, um, they simply said men. Often they said men. That doesn't mean that it's just us men, okay? It also means you ladies, you sisters. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The first obstacle to us not surrendering all that we are and all that we have is a love of self. We love ourselves. Shall be lovers of, of, 
their own selves. And then he has a whole list of things in that passage that pertain to those kind of things. But I'm just going to pick out a few of them. I'm not going to go through the whole list. The ones that stood out to me that are connected in my mind, that are connected to how I love myself, this self-centered, this selfishness, this self-focus that is so prevalent in my heart, says they are covetous. They are boasters. And they are proud. Down at verse 4. They're heady. They're high-minded. They think highly of themselves. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And then verse 5 is the clincher. It says when we are this kind of a person, we have a form of godliness, but there's no power behind our lives. Now what we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that Timothy was not, this was, Paul was not writing this to the lost world out there. He was writing this to a church, to a leader in the church. He's writing it to you and me this morning. The first obstacle that keeps us from surrendering ourselves and all that we have to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is ourself, myself. I want to be in control. What is it that you want to be in control of this morning? Self-love. Self-centeredness. High-minded, proud. And it robs us of godliness. Why? Because it focuses our affections inward to myself. And brothers and sisters, we were never created to provide our own love, our own joy, our own happiness. You will never find it in yourself. You find it in God himself. And when we, when we turn inward, when it has to be about me, when we have self-pity, all of those things, we rob ourselves of the joy and the peace that could be ours in Christ if we surrender to him. I know what it's like to live in that. Those are some things that God had to point out in my heart. Will you surrender yourself to me? We were never created to be our own source of joy and peace. What would happen this morning if we would quit looking at ourselves so much and we would actually look out and we would look at each other. And we would look at Christ. He would be our focus. Other people would be our focus. We would be otherwise focused. What would happen? I don't know how you find it on a Sunday morning. But I suspect sometimes we're guilty of this. I don't want to make a blanket statement. But I suspect this happens in our hearts sometimes. You come. You know it's Sunday morning or whatever, and we come, and you wonder what 
is in store for me? What will I get today? And if it doesn't meet my getting what I want to get, I'm not happy. What would happen if we would come to church on Sunday morning and say, I wonder what I can give. What can I give to Brother Lyle? What can I give to Brother Mark? How can I allow God to work in me as a blessing to my brothers and sisters? If we would all do that, what would happen to Sandy Ridge? I wonder. Do you think God's glory and his power would become evident in our church and people would be drawn to him? The second thing that is an obstacle to our surrender is the deception of mistrust and doubt about God's character. Let me say that again. The second obstacle is this. There's a deception about the nature of God. We mistrust God. We don't trust him. We don't think he has what it takes if we surrender all of who we are, all of what we have to him. We don't think he he can take care of us. Or we don't think he can take care of that. We don't believe that he is capable, that his character is in question in our hearts. And it causes us to pull back and to keep control of whatever thing that is. Whether it's a habit that we have that brings temporary satisfaction to us, whether it's our reputation, whether it's certain relationships that we have to have, that we hang on to, And by the way, if you don't think that self-love is huge today, just look at all the selfies that are taken. Fifteen years ago, there were not that many selfies taken. Twenty years ago, I would dare say not any. Look at me. Oh, by the way, there is some scenery back here, but, but, but look at me. We have to be the center. Self-love has become so evident in the practice of selfie-taking. Young people, just don't. That's all I can say. Just don't. Check your motives. Why do I have to be in the picture? Why is that important? Wouldn't it be just as nice without me in the picture and whatever's in the background... That's what we used to do. We used to have cameras and we'd take pictures of scenery. Or, but now we have to be there. Self-love. Do you trust God and his character? Or does your heart deceive you in believing that he is not who he says he is? What if God asks me to do something that I am not comfortable doing? If I say, God, look, I am going to, I'm surrendering all. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. And then that little doubt comes into our minds. And we say, but what if he asks me to do something that I don't like? 
What if he, he asks me to go somewhere that I don't want to go? What if he asks me to go talk to someone that I just don't really want to talk to? What if? What if? What if? What if? We doubt that he is actually able to do what is best for us. We don't believe him. Our heart deceives us. Our heart is wicked. And it deceives us. We try to protect what we love and what we find fulfilling to us. Deceitful desires crowd in and we don't want God to take control. The fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, that God is good and he is trustworthy and he has our best in mind. We were created to live under his lordship. We were created to live and to function and to flourish under his lordship. Finally here, closing up. The beauty and glory of a life that is surrendered to Christ. And I want to say before we finish this off, I said, I, I said it briefly earlier. I want to encourage us this morning. God is very patient. And he's very loving and he's very kind. He's not a tyrant. But if you, have, if you sense God is pointing at something or several things in your life that he's saying, I want you to surrender that to me, give it to him. And there'll be something else next week. There'll be something else next year. He doesn't give up on us. Why? Because he loves us. We are his children. He wants us to become more and more like him. And I think for myself, if I could just learn that lesson, when he points that thing out, and instead of sort of putting it on the shelf or like, well, I don't know, God, or, is that really what you're trying to tell me? Or, or we just go ahead and do it. We just do it. We surrender ourselves. We surrender our businesses. We surrender our families. I surrender who I am. Whatever that is. He's so patient. And when we do that, we become these last several things that I want to talk about. I have three things. And you can find more in Scripture. You certainly can. But I have three things in closing. When a person practices surrender on a continual basis to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. Surrender opens up the path for our spiritual maturity. I want you to understand that. When we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, whatever it is, ourselves, our things, whatever that is, whatever God's pointing out, when we become in, we, we get into the habit of surrendering those things, it enables our spiritual minds, our spiritual eyes, and our spiritual ears to open up. 
And all of a sudden, we begin to understand things at a deeper spiritual level, and maturity begins to happen. Maturity begins to happen. Now, all of us can look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years, some of us more than that, and we can definitely say, yeah, I've grown, I've matured. That's what's happening. Don't quit. Don't stop surrendering your life, your things to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of us are stalled in our Christian life. Could it be that we're not surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? We're not giving ourselves fully to Him. We grow in the character of Christ. We follow His example when He surrendered His will And we read that in in the Gospels when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying about what he was facing on the cross. And he said, Father, if there's any way that this thing can pass, uh, is there another way, Father? Like, can this be done another way? And then he quickly says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Philippians tells us that when he did that, when he humbled himself as a servant, and that even to the, to the point of death on the cross, God exalted him, matured him, brought him to fruition. Do you see that? When we do the same, he brings us to maturity. He brings us, he enables us to live effectively for him. Number two, surrender opens our hearts to new affections and desires. Surrender opens our hearts to new, new affections and desires. Our love for those things that we thought were important diminish. I remember, brothers and sisters, this is a personal testimony. I've shared it before. But I remember when that day happened for me. I literally said these words, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do, I will follow you. I did. I couldn't believe it. The things that I thought I loved before, I despised. There was a period in my life where I just, I wanted, I, I, it was glorious. Things became clear to me and glorious. My affections were kingdom-oriented at that point. Now, that's dramatic, but that is what I experienced. Maybe some of you haven't quite experienced that. That doesn't mean that you haven't. But when we do those things, that will happen, whether instantly or steadily. When we surrender, our affections change. We begin to know what loving God is, we begin to understand what it means to love others. His kingdom values become our values. We are changed from the inside out. We think in kingdom terms. Where are you at this morning? I had to think of Isaiah when he saw God high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me. 
Woe is me. I am not fit. And yet God said, well, who's going to go for me? Later on, a couple of verses later, he said, who's going to go for me? Who's going to be my spokesperson? And I can imagine Isaiah saying, well, God, I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm who I am. I see you like I am, but I'm surrendering to you. And God said, good. Goes over and gets a coal off that altar, and he sanctifies Isaiah. And Isaiah preaches for Christ, or for God, to his people. Isaiah was changed. We are too when we surrender to him. Number three and the last one. Surrendered lives bear much fruit. Surrendered lives bear much fruit. Are you bearing fruit this morning? Unless a seed surrender and bury in the ground, I'm paraphrasing, and it dies, it will not bear fruit. That's scripture. Unless a seed surrenders itself to the dirt and it dies, it will not bear fruit. A surrendered life will stay surrendered and will bear much fruit. We will be like trees planted by the rivers of water. We will be a blessing to others. We will bring glory to God. Shall we pray?